um, this morning. Psalm chapter 19. You should have a handout in your bulletin. Hope you got one of those. If not, then maybe you could look on with somebody or grab out a piece of paper to take some notes this morning. Uh, because it'll be a different style of message that I think that you're going to need both front and back of, of that handout for to follow along and retain what we're going to talk about this morning. By way of introduction, I'm going to read a verse outside of my text. The text is Psalm 19, but I'm going to read a portion of a verse in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to get us going where we want to go today. And it's this, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The word exercise is a trendy word for the first two weeks of every year. It's actually a good idea for a couple of days for most people. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. This verse commands believers to exercise themselves, or you could say it this way, to discipline themselves to become godly people. To be godly simply means that you are conformed with the help of the Holy Spirit to the image of God. What you say, what you do, what you think, where you go, how you feel, all of that is being conformed to the image of God if you are becoming godly. And according to this short verse, becoming godly isn't passive. It doesn't just happen on its own any more than getting in shape will happen on its own. You have to exercise yourself to become godly. The practical everyday ways we live out obedience to this command have historically been referred to in the Christian realm as spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are the practices in the Bible that promote godliness. There are two types of spiritual disciplines. There are personal spiritual disciplines and there are interpersonal spiritual disciplines. Interpersonal spiritual disciplines are those things that you do uh, that promote godliness with other people. Believe it or not, right now you are performing a spiritual discipline, an interpersonal spiritual discipline. You are singing together, which is a spiritual discipline that helps your soul. You are hearing the word together. Some of you are going to give together. You're going to serve together. Those are interpersonal spiritual disciplines. The spiritual discipline I want to address today is not interpersonal. It's personal. It's something you do alone. We're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of daily Bible reading and Bible meditation. I believe this discipline of getting in the word of God for yourself every day is one of the most effective means by which God has chosen for you and I to enjoy and experience a growing relationship with him. Donald put uh, Whitney, I would encourage you to read anything he writes. Donald Whitney's his name. He puts it this way. God has chosen the means The biblical spiritual disciplines through which we experience and enjoy him and are changed by him. I love this. These are the sacred pathways where we can expect to encounter him. Zacchaeus, we might say, wanted to meet Jesus and knowing the path that Jesus would take, put himself in that path. In his grace, Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus' desire to meet him and transformed him. Our role, therefore, is to discipline ourselves to get on the God-ordained paths where we can expect by faith to meet Jesus. I love that. Getting on the sacred pathways to becoming godly. Bible reading, Bible meditation, every day on your own is one of those sacred pathways I want to help you get on today. 
To help you with that, I'm going to walk you through an exposition of Psalm 19, which is a beautiful song that magnifies God's word. The reason I'm going to do that is because I want you to see from God's word why it is so valuable and why it is so life-changing and why you should make it a priority every day this year. After we understand Psalm 19, I'm going to give you a very practical way to apply it. Everyone should have received a Bible reading plan for this year inside of your bulletin. If you didn't, our ushers will be standing at the door on your way out today and you can grab one from them at that time. At the end of the message today, I'm going to teach you a very simple process that will help you get the most out of your Bible reading on a daily basis. So the first half of the message is exposition of Psalm 19. The second half is application to our lives today. I'll be preaching the sermon under this title, The Wonderful Word of God. Would you say that out loud with me? The Wonderful Word of God. Two questions I want to answer in the sermon. Why should we read the Bible and how should we read the Bible? Psalm 19 gives us the answer to that first question, why we should read the Bible. 11 wonderful reasons for why we should read God's Word. We're going to just be very concise, very quick. So write these down on your handout and study the verses chronologically with me, beginning in verse number 7. Verse number 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Here's the first wonderful reason for why you should read the Bible. The word of God is perfect and strengthens. David used the word law to describe the word of God. What he was referring to directly was the law given on Mount Sinai, what we call the Torah. Now, when you read those Old Testament terms like that, you might be thinking, does what David is talking about have anything to do with us today? Because if he's talking about the law on Mount Sinai, he's talking about the law written in Hebrew. How many understand Hebrew? If David is talking about Hebrew law and maybe even all the scriptures that have been revealed to him by that point, what does this have to do with us? Well, thankfully, God has given man the capacity through common grace to translate from one language to another. Now, this isn't a miraculous concept. I want you to get that. It's not miraculous. And I say that because we benefit from translation all the time. Even today, the news gets translated. Movies get translated. Siri will even translate for you if you ask her nice enough. It's a common grace that God gives men and women today. And thankfully, the Bible has been translated as well. So yes, the law does apply. Jesus and the apostles used a Greek translation of the Old Testament when they quoted the Bible. There have been Bibles translated into Latin, Bibles translated into German, and of course, Bibles that we have today translated into English. So so while we don't have the tablets that David was talking about directly, we do have manuscripts from all over the ancient world that skilled scholars can compare and then they can translate those manuscripts uh, into languages like ours with a high amount of accuracy. It's called the preservation of God's word. David makes the point in verse 7 that God's word is perfect. Converting the soul. The word perfect means complete. It means sufficient. The word converting, if you study it, means to revive something, to renew something, to restore something. So David is saying that one of the wonders of the Bible is that it is sufficient, fully sufficient to strengthen the soul. Have you ever needed strength in your soul before? 
I mean, your spirit, your heart, your mind, your soul just needed revived. It needed renewed. It needed refreshed. The things that, that used to be easy spiritually became hard. The, the, the people and the places that used to bring you spiritual energy just didn't perform or, or do that for you any longer. That's when you need some refreshment from the unchanging word of God. Even the Apostle Paul, as spiritual as he was, confessed that his mind needed to be renewed. His inward man needed to be renewed day by day. That's why daily time in God's word is so necessary for the Christian. Your soul will go dry without it. Notice, secondly, the word of God is sure and gives wisdom. This is found in the second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word sure means true. It means trustworthy. It means stable. It means dependable. The verse says that it gives wisdom to the simple. The simple is a type of person that Solomon describes in the book of Proverbs as being an inexperienced person, a naive person, an impressionable person. Here's the truth. We all need wisdom for good decision making because there are areas in all of our lives in which we lack wisdom due to inexperience or due to being vulnerable in that area of our lives. The wisdom we need for those difficult situations is found first and foremost in the word of God. It allows us to see life as God sees it. And then act accordingly. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, says it this way. Wisdom is a life that makes sense in the light of reality. And the light of reality shines from the Bible. Notice, thirdly, the word of God is right and brings joy. Verse number eight. The statues. Another good word for that would be the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Statues or or precepts, if you will, describe the word of God as a book of rules, a book of guidelines for living. And unlike every other rule book that you have to abide by in your life, hear me, church, the Bible and its rules are 100 percent right. I love that. No rule of God is exaggerated. No rule of God is biased. No rule of God is unnecessary. Have you ever had to abide by a rule that you felt was completely unnecessary? Not any of God's. God's rules aren't even fluid. I've had to work on writing a a student handbook for our academies this year. That thing is fluid. We're like, oh, didn't get that right. Oh, need to adjust this. Oh, we grew. Got to change this. God's rule book, it is not fluid. His precepts and statutes, they are timeless. They're good for all time. And unlike most rule books, the psalmist says of the Bible that its rules, its guidelines, its statutes bring joy to your life. The Bible isn't meant to be a killjoy. His rules are meant to make us happy, to make us fulfilled people. If you want to know real joy, then get to know the guidelines of the Bible and structure your life around them. Notice, fourthly, the word of God is pure and provides direction. Verse 8, the second part of verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Bible is pure, meaning it's absent of sin. It's absent of malice. It's absent of corrupting influence. It's not dark. It's not vague. It's not contaminated. It's radiant. It's, It's bright. It enlightens our eyes. It brings understanding to us so that we can see how to live and, and what to do in various situations of life. You know, Psalm 119, 105, that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet 
and a light unto our path. I can't tell you how many times that God's word has been my flashlight through some very dark and confusing days. And there have been times when I've had to make really, really hard decisions. And I found that God's word guided me through making every single one of those. Notice fifth, the word of God is clean and endures forever. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear of the Lord references this, the fear of the Lord that reading the Bible produces in us. Reading the Bible produces in you a a right and holy reverence and respect for God because the Bible reveals God for who he really is. The Bible helps us to honor him for who he really is. You don't get to make up your own version of God. The Bible gives us the version of God that we ought to worship. And when we see God for who he really is, it makes us fear him. And once again, the psalmist says that, that it's clean, it's, it's pure in its quality and its essence. And that purity then gives it longevity, meaning its power and purpose is never in. We can always count on God's word to do its work because God's word never changes. It never goes out of style. It never goes out of season. It endures forever. Notice six, the word of God is true and righteous altogether. Found at the last part of verse nine. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Judgments are referring to the Bible's ability to make divine decisions about human conduct. We know God is the judge and we know the Bible is the standard by which he judges. That means we can take comfort in the fact that God's judgments based on his righteous word are never wrong. I love how the psalmist put it. They're all together righteous. They're never off the mark. They're never false. They're never biased. They're never tainted with, with, with any type of humanity. They're all together right. They're right. Notice seventh, the word of God is valuable And priceless. Look at your Bible, verse number 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Take what the world values most right now in 2023. It's probably money. And I would say that money, even fine money, as the psalmist said, cannot be compared to the riches of God's word. Elon Musk is compared to be worth two hundred is estimated to be worth sorry two hundred and sixty two billion dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of fine money. I got good news for you. If you have one copy of God's word and you read it and you live by it, you are richer than Elon Musk. See, Scripture exists in a class all by itself. It's literally priceless. Notice eight. The word of God is delicious and sweet says at the end of uh, verse 10, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Honey was just, it was the type of food that they referred to in this day as like the dessert you wanted. If you wanted something sugary, you were going to try to find a honeycomb. It was like their cheesecake. It was like their brownies. It, it was just, we've got all kinds of things we referred to today. Them poor people only had honey, I guess. But honey was like their chocolate. They loved Honey, here's what the psalmist is saying. The word of God tastes better than the sweetest thing you could ever put in your mouth. So, so honey tastes sweet to the dung, 
Here's why the Bible tastes sweeter. Because it ministers to the soul. Honey might satisfy our taste buds for a moment, but the Bible satisfies the deepest desires and longings of our heart forever. One scholar writes, God's word is sweet in the enrichment and satisfaction of life that it brings to the faithful believer and its sweetness increases its desirability day by day. I want to read the last part of that quote. The the sweetness of the word of God increases its desirability day by day. How many ate some tasty food over the last couple of weeks? Come on, you liars. Very good. Christmas, Thanksgiving, these holidays tend to bring out the best from our family kitchens. How many, once you got a taste of the holiday food the last month or so, have had a hard time not desiring that food every day since? Praise the Lord for January 1. The same is true for the word of God, but in a good way. Because once you acquire an appetite for the word, you're going to desire it more and more. I talk with a lot of Christians who find a hard, hard time uh, uh, having joy in reading their Bible. So let me give you the secret sauce to enjoying your Bible reading. Get your pen out. You're going to need this. It's three words. Read your Bible. That's it. How do I learn how to enjoy to read my Bible? What's the secret, man? You act like you really like it. Well, I do. Here's the secret. Read your Bible. Man, what's the secret to like wanting to go to the gym? Go to the gym. That's the secret. It's not complicated. The more you taste of the riches and the sweetness of God's word, the more you want to go back for more. Yeah. The reason why our appetite starts to diminish is because we give ourselves to the junk food of the world. That's it. Notice ninth, the word of God is helpful and rewarding. Verse number 11. Moreover, by them, talking about the words of God, is thy servant warned and in keeping of them, there is great reward. The Bible's helpful to us in that it alerts us to sin. It's like an alarm. Tells us when spiritual danger is in our way. It's like a spiritual watchdog that barks really loud when it sees sin in our life. That's why you need to come to church, by the way. That's why we still have Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Because sin is barking at you all the time. And so I want to bark at you as much as I can. Through the word of God. This is why you expose yourself because the Holy Spirit will use the preached word oftentimes to say, whoa, stop, don't go any further. But here's what's even better. The Holy Spirit will use his word on Monday morning to do the same thing. You don't need me up here preaching it to you. That's helpful. That's beneficial. And it's necessary. But you don't need me on Monday morning. You don't need me on Tuesday morning or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. You need to get in God's word and let it uh, alert you to what you're doing that is wrong. Here's the good news. When it alerts you and you obey, you're going to be rewarded. Every time obedience to the word always reaps abundant blessings in your life. Notice 10th. The word of God is instructive and cleansing. The word of God is instructive and And cleansing, verse 12, who can understand his heirs? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. So 
David gives in verse 12, and then we're going to talk about it in a second, verse 13, two different ways of sinning and two different strategies for overcoming these individual types of sinning. He talks about this, this idea first of like ignorant sin or inadvertent sin. He, he talks about the characteristics of, the, of this type of sin. He, he said it's confusing. It's baffling. He said, who can know his own heirs? Who can figure out his own Sinning, he's saying that because of the deceptiveness of sin. It fools us, it deceives us. We, we look at ourselves in hindsight after sinning and we say this, what was I thinking? I cannot believe I said that. I cannot believe I did that. I cannot believe I dated them. The second characteristic of the way of sinning is secret faults or ignorance. The sin is often hidden from us. It's unintentional. It's inadvertent. Some have interpreted that to mean like the things that we do behind closed doors that nobody knows about. That's not the interpretation of it. The interpretation of it is unintentional or inadvertent sin. Thus, David prays, cleanse me from these types of faults. This doesn't mean our sin is hidden from others. Most of the time, other people see our sin before we do. It means sin sometimes is hidden from us. The sinners, we don't sense its sinfulness. We don't see our sin as sin. We don't see the danger of it, which is why we need the light of God's word to reveal it, to bring it to our attention. So open your Bible tomorrow morning and it might shine the light on something that everybody else sees in your life, but you don't. Notice number 11, we're done. The word of God, well, we're done with the first half of the message. The word of God is protective and liberating. It's protective and liberating. Verse 13, keep back or or, or protect thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David speaks of these presumptuous sins, okay? So we're not talking about the the verse 12 sins, the ones that are inadvertent, the ones that are due to the fact that sin has deceived us and that we have underrated certain things in our life that are more sinful than we thought they were. This is presumptuous, willful sinning. Author John Piper again, and this is long, but he is so good when he says this. Follow along, it's going to help you understand this verse. David sees a difference between, on the one hand, sins that we commit because they baffle us, And sneak up on us. And on the other hand, sins that we commit because we presume to know better than God or presume that sin is no big deal. The point is not that there's a special category of extra bad sins like murder, rape, treason, etc. The point is that there is a special category of sinning, namely sinning in arrogant defiance of a known law. It's not so much what you do that puts sinning in this category as whether you do it with forethought and defiance and rebellion. This is what David calls presumptuous sins. They are fully intentional with our eyes open and with a heart that says, I know God says this is wrong and harmful, but I just don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do it anyway. Do you see the, the, do you see the difference now? David says, how can a man know all of his heirs? How can he know in his own sinning? The word of God helps us know our own sinning. The word of God helps us know those those sins that sneak up on us. It guards us from those. But then he says there's another category of sinning that the believer does know about. Presumptuous sinning. Where they know right and wrong and they choose to do what's wrong. How do we keep ourselves from that? We do what David did in verse number 
13 and 14. We just start praying. We literally stop and pray. We ask for God's strength. We say, keep me back from these kind of presumptuous sins. Do not let them have dominion over me. I want to do what's wrong. Help me in this moment. Guide the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth. Keep them away from being sinful and even presumptuously sinful. Watch here. This is why I'm so convinced, as Pastor Tanner taught us on Wednesday night, that Bible reading and daily prayer do not have to be two separate disciplines at two separate times. I'm going to do 15 minutes for Bible today and 15 minutes for prayer. You can do that and it's not wrong to do that. But I think that your prayer should be interspersed with your Bible reading. Because sometimes as you read your Bible, it's going to confront your sin. And when the Bible shows your sin to you, you don't say, I'm going to get back to that. And I got 11 more minutes to read my Bible. Then I'll start prayer. No, you close your Bible for a second. You get on your knees and you say, God, I'm sorry. God, I I repent of this sin. Sometimes the Bible is going to warn you. Of the destruction of sin. It's going to give you a preview of what's going to happen if you do sin. At that moment, close your Bible, get on your knees and say, God, keep me back from that. Don't let it have dominion in my life today. Then open your Bible and let him talk to you some more. Why? Because Bible reading is a conversation. It's not just a homework assignment. God talks to you, then you talk back to him. Then God talks to you and you talk back to him My dad's always told me sin will keep you from the Bible and the Bible will keep you from sin. So there you got it. There's there's the first, I'll I'll give it to you, the three quarter. That's about three quarters of the way through the sermon. Eleven wonders of God's word in Psalm 19. After that short exposition, wouldn't you say this? The word of God is a wonderful book. I hope I've made the case that, that this Bible ought to be a priority in your daily life. So let's get practical for a moment. We've given you a copy of a Bible reading plan. Would you take that out if you got one in your bulletin? I want our entire church to to go through this together. Any regular attendees um, that worship with us on the Lord's Day, I would love for you to join us in this as well. You can see there probably January 1, or I don't know if it's, it's dated. I forgot to bring one up here for myself. But there's going to be four columns Thank you, Eli. Somebody say initiative. Give him a raise. Yes, January 1. Okay. So you see four columns there. Here's, here's what you could do and why I like this Bible reading plan. Because you, you, can, you can start very small and very simple if you want. This year, for the first few months of this year, as you're trying to build a habit or whatever you want to do. You could just say, well, I'm going to do column one this year. Column one is, is going to be the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You'll, if you do that plan, then you will read through uh, the, the Gospels in one year. So you could do just column one. That would be just fine. Or you could do column one and column two, which means that you'll read the Gospels, but you also read the rest of the New Testament. So together, you'll read the entire New Testament in one year. You could do column one and two if you wanted to do that. You could do column one, two, and three, which would be the entire New Testament plus the Old Testament poetry books and wisdom books. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job, I believe. So you could do that if you wanted, or you could just do it all. You could read all four columns, which is going to take you through the entire Bible in one year. Um, If you've never 
really successfully read your Bible for a long period of time every day. I'm going to discourage you from trying all four columns at once. That, that would be like me, who I don't really bench press on a regular basis. Um, it'd be like me going in to the gym tomorrow and trying to lift 300 pounds. I would injure myself. I would discourage myself. I couldn't even get the bar off. I couldn't even load the rack. Right? I'd be like, well, this is what you have to do to be in shape. I'm not going to do it at all. So I want to encourage you, don't bite off more than you can chew. Take what, is, what, is, what fits your capacity, what fits your time constraints, and pick one of those. Now, here's a great, great kind of safety net part of this plan, is that they only give 25 days worth of reading. So there's five or so free days every month. Here's why they do that. There might be some days when you're sick and you can't read, or when you travel and your schedule gets thrown off, or, or just when you have a bad morning because we have bad mornings, or when you just act like a sinner and a self-dependent human being and don't want to read your Bible. That might happen for some of us too. If that happens, then you have five days at the end of the month to catch up. If you want to catch up. If you're a really faithful and a really, really good Bible reader for 25 days, you're like, what am I going to do with five days? Then you can go back and maybe meditate on some scriptures uh, from the past 25 days that stuck out to you. You can go and pray through the scriptures. Tanner, does, does Donald Whitney write that book on praying through the scriptures? You need, a, you need to get that book. It's praying through, is it Psalms or just praying through the scriptures? Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, in fact, Pastor David probably has three or four copies um, <laughs> in his, if you ever want a book, just ask him first. He probably has three or four copies he can give you. I love you, David. Happy New Year. He's watching on live stream today. Um, but you could, you could read through, um, you know, uh, different passages that, that stuck out to you. You could pray through the scripture. You could use five days for nothing but Bible memorization. If you want to do that, learn one verse a day um, for those five days. But, but that's kind of how you use it. Now, why is this important to me? Why do I think this is profitable for our church? Several reasons. I want you to pay attention to these. First, it allows all of us to be eating the same spiritual meal every day. Now, have you ever sat down for a meal with a group of your friends and everybody really liked it? What happens? You talk about it. Yeah, like we get up and say, man, that was the best steak I've ever eaten in my life. And somebody says, no, I like the sweet potato fries. Those are phenomenal. My wife would say something like this. Their ranch dressing was unbelievable. <laughs> she judges the restaurant by their ranch dressing. Right? We talk about it. We get excited about it. And the same is true for an entire church, an entire connection group, maybe. An entire family reading through the same part of the Bible on the same day. It's going to provoke spiritual conversation and camaraderie. That's really important in a church. Christian fellowship isn't just about on Sundays catching up with each other about your kids and about your week and about your careers. It's about having regular talks about the Bible with each other. That's going to happen naturally. Second, this is profitable for our church because it, it offers a means of keeping each other accountable in our spiritual walk. Imagine coming to a connection group at 945 on Sunday. I hope you do. And the leader, instead of starting by taking prayer requests, before he does that, he's going to ask someone to share an insight from their Bible reading last week. That's going to provoke you. Imagine getting to a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ in the church foyer and, and maybe being asked by somebody without any warning, hey, what was your favorite verse that you read last week in the Bible reading plan? 
Or how about receiving a text from one of the pastors here on staff that gives his favorite insight from the Bible reading that week? That's what the author of Hebrews is is instructing the believers when he says, go to church and then provoke one another to love and good works. A Bible reading plan gives us that opportunity. The third reason why it's profitable goes beyond the four walls of the church and into your home. For us, us three, me, Jenny, and Kevin, we're going to take a portion of the daily Bible reading plan and do it with Kevin every night. We're going to take the gospel. So we're going to read through column one with our son in 2023. I think it'll probably take us three or four minutes or so a night to do that. We always pray together at night, but we're going to add that to our our prayer time this year. I would encourage you if you have children or teenagers uh, to use column one for that purpose. And here's why you're gonna have a lot of opportunities through the gospels to understand Christ and the gospel and hopefully provoke a lot of questions from your children about their need for salvation. It'd be a great opportunity. Those are some reasons why the Bible reading plan can be profitable. And that kind of leaves me with the very, very last part of the sermon, the most practical how do we get everything we can out of reading the Bible like this? Well, turn your, turn your, your uh, sheet over, your handout over. There's a very short acrostic I'll walk through. Letter M, meditate. Meditate. This spells out maps. If you want a comprehensive sermon on the topic of meditation, go to our YouTube channel, our Apple podcast, our web, website. Listen to Pastor Tanner's sermon a couple days ago. This last Wednesday on the topic of biblical meditation. It was amazing. It helped us understand our mindset um, as we enter the scripture should not be to check off boxes. I know some of you are box checkers. You can get dopamine every time you check off a box. You're a box checker and that's okay. Pastor Tanner helped us understand from God's word that, that, that our bio, we are not to be Bible readers. We're to be Bible meditators. Bible reading is a means to be a Bible meditator. And, and so it's not as much about checking off the box as much as it is thinking on God's word. That's what meditation means. It means to think on something. He explained, how do we think on something? We speak it. We talk about it. Literally, the word meditation means to mutter or to read in an undertone while thinking. He showed us the most practical way to do this. And I, you need to do this with your Bible reading even today. When you open up to, let's say you're going to open up to Matthew 1, 1 through 17, you need to read that sucker out loud. And then do this. Then read it. Then read it like to yourself, without reading out loud, and you will notice a difference. Reading something audibly, it just, it, it, it engages more senses. It allows you to stay locked in. How many know that, that if you're reading through God's word and you're just kind of, you're reading, you know, silently or whatever, it's really easy to start skimming. It's really easy to get distracted and all of that. Read out loud and it keeps you engaged in that. Well, I don't know where I go, go somewhere where you can read out loud and not be embarrassed. Find somewhere where you can read audibly. So start every morning with a structured plan, but make sure you get to meditation. I'm going to show you a system for that in just a moment. Letter A, apply. As you meditate on the scriptures, you have to be careful to not just let what you read become head knowledge. You've got to allow it to change your life. A good way to make that happen is to ask yourself the three questions I have on your handout. Ask yourself a question about your mind, your head. How does this passage transform my thoughts? Or your heart, how does this passage transform my desires? Or your hands, how does this passage transform my actions? Everybody can look at a verse of scripture 
and ask those questions. And not every passage of scripture is going to answer all three of those questions, but you'll be able to find that it answers at least one of those. Don't read your Bible to get smarter. We're not going to have any Bible trivia quizzes around here. Read your Bible to be transformed. Information alone doesn't transform. Information plus application equals transformation. Letter P, pray. Remember, prayer and Bible reading should be interspersed because it's a conversation. God talks to you, you talk to him. Here's a good guide for your daily prayer time. It's on your handout. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. If you read something in God's word and it provokes thankfulness, stop, stop, literally stop and say, thank you, Lord. We read Psalms 1 this morning in this plan. I stopped and said, God, thank you for your word. It makes me like a tree, strong and stable. Thank you. If if something in your Bible reading provokes um, a thought about your own sin or sinfulness, you need to stop and repent. And then you need to ask God, give me strength to overcome that today. Then yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you, not my flesh. I want to surrender to the Spirit today. Letter S, share. I want you to notice something that Pastor Tanner pointed out in his sermon on Wednesday. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Get this, please get this. Bible meditation isn't just a morning discipline. It's not something we do from 6 to 6.30 in the morning. The goal is meditating on the Bible all day long. How do we do that? We talk about it. We should, you see the first part of the book? Don't let the word of God depart out of your mouth. So that you can meditate therein day and night. Talk about it. Share it with yourself. Talk about it with yourself. Talk about it with God. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it with your coworkers. That's how you keep God's word in your heart all day long when you keep it in your mouth. So that's a really good kind of map you can work through as you're going through your Bible reading time to help you with that. Because I know that most people are going to see that. So that's a good idea, but then you're going to lose this in about 30 minutes after church. So let me show you a very practical way how this can be a part of 2023 every single day for you. Okay. We're going to have a table. It wasn't set up on your way in. It'll be set up on your way out. It's a table of note cards. You're going to, it's, it's just five note cards clipped together. And on the top of that note card is going to be a sample of, of maps of what it looks like to take, take a Bible verse and go through that process so that you can meditate on it all day long. Let me show you a sample. Okay. Here's the, here's how the front side of that should look. Some, you're, now you're going to have to write your own. We gave you a sample. We gave you five to get started this week. Hopefully you go to Walmart or Dollar General or wherever and get you some note cards this week or however you want to do it. On the front side can look something like that. January one and then your meditation. On the back side of the note card, you can divide it in these headings right here. Apply and pray. Okay? So let's go back to the first side of the note card. And let's say that that I decided to meditate on Psalm chapter uh, number one. Go to that third slide. Uh, There you go. Psalm chapter one, verse one and two. That was on the Bible reading plan today. You can read it this afternoon or tonight. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of God, nor standeth away his sinners, nor sins he is scorned, but his lies in the law of the Lord. And his law did meditate day and night. I'm trying to hurry. So that, that's the verse out of, now watch, even if I read all four columns, I'm not going to find, I, I'm, I can't meditate on all, everything that I read. 
So I'm going to take one or two verses out of all four columns combined, if I read all four, and I'm going to, I'm going to narrow it down to the one or two verses that really stuck out to me in my Bible. I'm going to write those down on the front part of my note card. Then on the back side, I'm going to start working through maps. Apply and pray. This is going to allow me to meditate. I don't want head knowledge. I want heart knowledge. I want to be changed. And so uh, you probably can't see that um, from there, but, but to apply it to my mind, I will be careful today about exposing myself to the counsel of the ungodly via TV and social media. If I wanted to apply it to my heart, my desires, I will meditate on scripture today and delight in how it satisfies my heart. My hands, I will share the scripture with my spouse and one other person today. That's how it's going to inform my actions. How am I going to pray through those two verses in my prayer time? Well, I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for your word that I have something to delight in. I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, I'm sorry for delighting more in other things than in your word. I'm going to ask for help. Will you help me to resist the counsel of the ungodly today? It's everywhere. Help me to resist and I'm going to yield. I'm going to pray. I surrender to the counsel of your word over the counsel of the ungodly today. And I give myself to its influence over the corrupting influence of the world around me. Again, when you go out on a black table, you're going to see note cards. Uh, You don't have to take that if that's not your thing. But I wanted to put feet to the sermon today. And so those note cards are there for you. This sample right here is printed and on the top of that little stack. Grab one stack of note cards. All right. Um, And then go buy your own for the rest of the year. I would encourage you to get one of those little note card storage containers and put it in there at the end of every day. Why? Because at the end of 2023, you can thumb through those suckers and say, wow, God has really helped me grow this year. And you can have a record or inventory of your meditation with God all through the year. Somebody say amen. Amen. Three statements and I'm done. This is the last half of my message. Just kidding. It's the conclusion of my message. Start small. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Especially if you're an enthusiast, you're going to try to go all four columns. Um, But you know that it's been years since you've been able to finish the Bible. Don't think that somehow miraculously it's going to change. Why don't you just say, you know what, for the first month, I'm just going to read the first column. I'm just going to read Psalms. I just need to get in the habit. Start small. Don't feel like you're shortchanging yourself or you're less of a Christian because you read less in the day. It's not about quantity. It's about quality when it comes to your Bible meditation. Do not try to bite off a big chunk. Okay. Um, And then do this. Invite accountability. Find somebody that you can talk to about this every day. And they've agreed. They want to welcome your accountability. You want to welcome theirs. It could be a spouse. Um, it could be a friend in the church. It could be somebody that you work with that, that you want to go through this with. It, it could be your connection group. We've got connection group leaders in here. Maybe you should, you should chalk off the first portion of your time um, every single week to talk about this. Maybe you should start a texting group or a Facebook group. or Maybe you can go to Uversion. That's a, that's a digital app on the phone. It's the most popular Bible app out there. Uversion. Y-O-U version and you can find this plan all you gotta do is type in the discipleship journal bible reading plan it pops up and then you can invite your friends on that journey with you with your phones and you can see what they read that day they can see what you read that day it's it's pretty awesome my wife did that with another lady in the church all year long in 2022 it's a really good fruitful process for her and so invite accountability and then number three don't quit just don't quit now quitting does that if you miss that doesn't mean you quit If you miss, that means you're human. You have five days every week, I mean every month, to catch up. So just anticipate you are going to be a human this year. And you're going to miss days. 
Do not quit. Most people are going to get OCD about not being able to check their boxes because they just, they went two weeks without even feeling like it. Well, then you know what you do? Don't worry about catching up. Don't even worry about it. Just, I would, I would encourage you seriously. I'm going to send out an article next week that, that proves this to be true. Don't even check the boxes. Don't even get your pen out to check them. I know it's gratifying. Don't do it. Because it's going to program your brain to make this a homework assignment. And so it's not about reading, getting a one, an A plus on this. That's not the point. This is not the goal. This is a system. The goal is Bible meditation. So if you start in Matthew 1 and you, you're, going to, you're trying to read through the whole New Testament, but you, you couldn't even get past three, verses 3 or 4 because the genealogy, the names of the genealogy stuck out to you. And you want to meditate on those. Good. Close your Bible. Pray. Get, get after your note card. And don't worry that you didn't get the other 15 verses read. The point is not that you fulfill this, this thing. It's only a means to Bible meditation. Don't quit if you miss. Just try not to miss two days in a row. Don't miss twice. Never quit. And then I, I want to leave you with a quote because most people quit on their Bible reading because they don't see it making a difference in their life. They don't feel like it's making a difference in their life. And I always borrow this quote. It's, it's a sign hanging up in the San Antonio Spurs locker room. When progress seems slow, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. You will not always feel every day like the word of God is chiseling away and, and, and making obvious changes in your life. Sometimes it's just a strike here and a blow here. But I'm telling you, the word of God will not return void. It is always doing something. It is always working toward an end. So I hope that message, a little longer than normal, I get that, but I hope that, that it was helpful. I hope that it inspired you. I hope it was practical. And, and I hope that from Psalm 19, you see God's word is worth the work. It's worth the effort. Get in the habit this year. And then, and then I hope that the Bible reading plan and the note cards that we're going to give out I hope all of that is just a means to the end of becoming closer to the Lord. Man, I, I just want, as, as a pastor of this church, and our, our pastoral staff shares the burden, I want our church to become a church of the Bible. Now, I know this church has always been known for preaching the Bible. That's always down. But I want to be known as a people of the Bible, not just a pulpit of the Bible. A people of the Bible. I want you to love God's word. I want you to. Men, listen to me. Men, men, men. I want you to love God's word. There are women in our church that just put us to shame. I'm going to clear off a spot. Not in my notes. That's okay. There are women in our church that out hustle us spiritually like crazy. And that's a shame. Women, keep hustling. Keep reading, keep praying, keep doing what you're doing. We need you in our church. That's not the point. The point is that men, step it up. Step it up. Your wife ought to see your Bible open every day. If they don't see you because you don't interact in that way, then she ought to hear it out of your mouth every day. You talk about a lot of things. You should be talking about the Bible, Dad. Talking about the Bible, sir. Let your wife see that in you. We need men of the Bible in Fellowship Baptist Church. We don't need men of politics. We don't need that. 
We don't need men of hunting. We don't need men of golf. We don't need men that are mechanics. All that's great. Do your thing. We need men of the Bible. Are you hearing me? We need men of the Bible. Men that crave the Bible. Men that have spiritual depth in their heart and in their soul. Men that don't have to look to their wives and say, uh, what's that? Can you help me? Can you help me understand that? Where's that in the Bible? We don't need that. We need men that can open their Bible and show their wives and teach their wives and teach their children. That's the plan. Men, 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 men. When men are strong, families are strong. When families are strong, churches are strong. When churches are strong, communities are strong. When communities are strong, nations are strong. Where does it start? It starts with the men. With the men. That's my plea to you from my pastor's heart today. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed?